Welcome to The Vampire Squid, a podcast about increasing transparency and education in finance. This is your host, Al Lee, and welcome back to The Vampire Squid. I hope everyone had an awesome summer break. I was actually in Iceland last month, and it is as beautiful as everyone says. A lot of Game of Thrones references, waterfalls, beautiful scenery, but I'm very excited to get back into the swing of things, and for this season, I'm going to release an episode every two weeks, but for the interview episodes, I'm going to release them in a full episode instead of breaking them up into two episodes like I've done before. And today's episode is actually with a super exciting guest, one of the most interesting people that I've spoken to. His name is Brian Wong, and he is the founder of a company called Keep. And Keep is a rewards-based advertising platform company. And, and Brian actually graduated college at the age of 18, so he skipped four grades. He was one of the youngest people to receive venture capital funding to found Keep. Um, and he's also had a variety of experiences that I think are extremely interesting, um, and I'm very excited to share it with you guys. So without further ado, here's Brian. Welcome to the Vampire Squid. Today, I have on a very special guest, Brian Wan, who is the founder of Keep. Brian, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Brian, um, would you mind giving a quick background on yourself? I, I know that uh, you have probably one of the most interesting backgrounds that, that I've heard of, uh, just so my listeners know who they're listening to. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I was uh, born and raised in Canada, Vancouver. I moved down to San Francisco right after I'd graduated college. Um, I graduated quite early uh, at the age of 18 because I had skipped four grades through elementary school and high school. Um, and I decided to join a startup originally, um, which then actually folded and started to lay off a bunch of people. And then so I was jobless, feasible, and decided to start my own company um, called Keep. And uh been growing that ever since. It's been almost seven years now. And uh, the concept was quite simple. It was the idea that ads are intrusive and mobile. And the best way to potentially make them less intrusive was to think of them as something entirely different. So we actually decided to make them rewards instead. And so we kind of invented this concept of rewards-based advertising, where if you're in an app uh, and you're doing something on your phone, in that moment, instead of an annoying ad, you get an actual reward from the brand. So you could finish a run on a running app and then get a you know, free Gatorade, for example. So um, that's sort of the gist of, of uh, how I've started and, and kind of what I'm doing now. So which grades did you actually skip in uh, your earlier years? I'm, I'm curious. Two, seven, nine, and 11. So it was quite spread out. It wasn't like all in one go. Gotcha. And was that something that you had planned early on or was that something that your parents um, had suggested to you? Yeah, it's reasonable to assume I'm Asian. Asian parents uh, <laughs> definitely uh, could have been a possibility, but I would say uh, my mom and dad were actually quite uh, worried about me skipping ahead because they thought it would affect my social development. Um, and they were, they, I think they're pretty right. I think I was pretty messed up going through <laughs> those grades, but uh, all jokes aside, I was uh, I was the one who wanted to go and just you know game the system a bit, just because I found that school was so excruciating, excruciatingly boring, and especially because it just took way too long. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually, I mean, I could go on for hours about how I think individualized learning plans and timelines are 
hopefully the future of education. But in my case, I just kind of had to create it myself. Yeah. I'm curious, did you do uh, any supplemental learning outside of school? And if so, what, what types of things did you do? Uh, very uncommon for me to take curriculum um, supplemental learning. So like, you know, learning grade 12 math, you know, ahead of time just for, for fun, but rather uh, extracurricular activities in the form of, you know, picking up skills like graphic design, right? So part of, you know, my background is, is in, in the, the first tech skill I'd learned was, was around graphic design. I'd uh, you know, sort of acquired a copy of Photoshop at a very early age, 12. Mm-hmm. And then I started to uh, do websites and graphics on the side. Um, and my summers were full of uh, working part-time as a designer and then also working for myself and a few of our friends. We had started a web design company and using these skills to kind of you know, both make money and then at the same time, little did we know, gather some pretty cru- crucial skills around how to work with clients and, and how to really you know build your first business. Um, and that all came from my hobby, which was around graphic design. Gotcha. Yeah, I actually dabbled a little bit in graphic design uh, a few months ago, and I initially thought it was, you know, as simple as, uh, you know, putting some pictures together and, and formatting it a little bit. But it's quite, uh, quite contrary. It's there's so much that goes into it in terms. Well, of there's it. many, many layers, and it teaches you principles like color theory and yeah, uh, user experience, and yeah, typography, photo Spacing. manipulations. Um, lighting, I mean, there's so many, uh, shading. And then it was all these skills kind of came in very, very handy. Spacing. And so all these things for me became very handy as I started Keith because obviously we had to create something that was very design principled. Um, if you're just trying to make advertising less intrusive, uh, then obviously you're going to have to have, a uh, you know, uh, an eye for design and, and also have hire people who have an eye for design. So that became a very, critical part of how we operated as a company in the early days and even now is people really have to have appreciation for uh, design and making sure that things just don't look annoying. Yep. Yeah, I've definitely come to appreciate design and, and the, the work that, that goes behind it. Um, so you graduated four years early in high school. So you graduated at 14 and then you finished college at 18. Um Talk a little bit about your experience in college, uh, being so young um, and, and going through that experience. Yeah, I think, um, you know, not if you always ask, like, did you, you know, miss out on like, you know, frat parties and stuff? And, like, uh, you know, did you get bullied? I mean, was there, I mean, honestly, it was like the best experience because I had the freedom to learn whatever I wanted to learn. I mean, granted, I met my requirements for my concentration, which was marketing, um, because I went to business school. Actually, I didn't go to engineering or anything like that. Um, and, and, um, you know, I also had a chance to participate in, in student government. So I kind of leveraged the novelty of me being 14 to run for student government and got in. It was pretty comical. Um, and, uh, <laughs> at the same time, gained a lot of experience managing people and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But it was, I think, honestly, this is actually being completely serious because we're Asian. We like don't look our age. So people have no idea if you're like 40 or if you're like <laughs> 15. And so I was just able to get around and people were just confused for a bit and then they would just accept it. And in fact, I would say none of my professors 
really for the first three years had any idea how old I was. Um, and so I was definitely like trying not to use and abuse that per se. Um, but it was a really, really fun experience. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Did you ever consider? Oh, I know you studied marketing um, in, in the business school, but did you ever consider a, a finance track or something along investment banking? Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, that was still the hot major uh, in our school uh, because I think, I mean, let's just put it out there. Finance typically was the perceived track that would get you the highest paying job. You know, mm-hmm. out of college. And so, yes, there were a lot of people who were like, yeah, I'm going to be a banker. Yeah, I'm so cool. And, uh, <laughs> and I recognize those people who are listening to, to this uh, podcast are. But I actually wasn't even able to get into the finance uh, concentration uh, because it was all based on grades. Mm-hmm. And my grades were the minimum viably acceptable grades is kind of my was my approach. I felt like just getting the degree and getting out and doing things in the real world as soon as possible was like the goal. Yeah. And so I was very lucky to have the chance to do that. And did you know that you wanted to do entrepreneurship specifically while you were in college or, or did you know that you just wanted to be in design and to be in tech? I had a left brain, right brain clash, right? Like I had an analytical mind, but a creative one. And I knew that marketing was one way that I could attempt to manifest that. It was like the only part of business that, you know, you think about it has a creative component to it. I mean, obviously there's other things you can do creatively with spreadsheets, but you kind of know what I mean. And so I I figured, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, there's, there's an angle around that. Um, entrepreneurship was not something I woke up one day and went like, yeah, I'm going to do entrepreneurship. Like it's honestly also one of those things I warn people. It's not, you you know, every, any, any time you ever feel like you're like going to choose it, it just isn't going to be as natural as it should be. I think entrepreneurship is a mindset. It's not a subject matter. And if you can go into anything with an entrepreneurial mindset, you can succeed but it has to be baked into something that gets triggered kind of through a natural course of things. So for me, uh, as I mentioned, I had that web design company. I got addicted to, you know, knowing how to generate income and building business from, from nothing essentially. Um, and just, you know, the, the, just from what we have with our, our, what's in our head and our skills and our, our ability to serve people. And then, so that was like one angle. Um, and then, yeah, you kind of read, you know, the news and you start to see, oh, wow, there's like a thing called venture capital and there's like this mm-hmm. ecosystem brewing in San Francisco. And that was definitely a part of the motivation of me wanting to, to go there, just see what it was like, because I was like, if this is really truly as hyped up as it is, uh, why don't I just actually just experience it and learn a thing or two? And so I decided to go join a startup as a way to get into it. And it turned out to be the best decision I ever made. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the entrepreneurial mindset that you mentioned. What what do you think are some of the characteristics of that? I mean, there's a lot of the cliches, like, you know, the you know tenacity and perseverance and, you know, the whole, like, don't take no for an answer, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately the entrepreneurship mindset is around the desire to create things, just building, creating just putting things out there that become a thing that was originally just a thought. I think people who are addicted to creation Mm -hmm. are ultimately entrepreneurial because you have to figure out how to get there and all the things you do to get to get to that thing you want to create comes with it. You know, that tenacity, that perseverance, you know, that, you know, sort of boldness. 
Um, I think there's also this fearlessness. And the fearlessness, again, like I said, is baked into the desire to create because you go, listen, I won't be able to sleep until I'm able to create this. And that addiction, that obsession is ultimately what creates that mindset. Got it. And, and I know a lot of people nowadays give advice around for those that want to be entrepreneurs, you know, do something you're very passionate about or, or follow your passion. But, you know, I've seen some of the interviews that you've done and, and you, you find that maybe faulty advice. Um, so could you elaborate on, on what you mean by that? Yeah, I hate that. I mean, like follow your passion is again, very, uh, broad, vague and kind of like a cop out piece of advice. It's, it's, uh, more about your, what you're obsessed with and then also your superpower. So one of the cheat codes in my book that I talk about is, you know, what's your superpower, right? Like what is the thing you're really good at? And the thing you're really good at has nothing to do with your job most of the time, actually. It's like, it's partly just a life skill or something that happens to be a part of your, your, your history. So if someone really, really, you know, happened to be very good at, 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 you know, spotting trends, for example, in fashion or whatever, just spotting trends in general. Like my, my brother is a great talent for that. He ended mm -hmm. up in fashion. Now he's in retail. He's in a bunch of other categories that can use that skill. For me, my superpowers, I'm really good at getting people super excited about stuff. This is what I do every day. And so that becomes a skill and a superpower that I use for all sorts of stuff. And obviously my job on a daily basis can involve everything from sales to working with investors to customers to hiring employees to you name it. Those things all play into that. Uh, and so again, once you have your superpower, that, that is where you can start to then glean, okay, the superpower, uh, is where you spend most of your energy and is where you will naturally be able to harness yourself as a human being and extract the most value. And I know it sounds kind of, uh, mechanical, but it is. It's like you don't want to be in a job or an environment where you are not able to make the most out of the skill that you are the most naturally inclined to do right and so i think once you find that that match then you can start soaring and then that kind of leads to this obsession piece right i think mm -hmm. obsession is very healthy actually well most of them at least not all um most obsessions because you can get deep into something you can follow through with it you can go like just honestly just if you have a tendency to be obsessed in general is healthy because that just means then you can build a passion from that so passion is from the obsession. Passion itself is not the objective. Uh, and then once you're able to find this obsession, um, you know, it could be anything. I mean, for you, it could be interviewing, it could be diving into people's stories, it could be sharing them. And this is your obsession, this is what you've created. And that will continue to, to then um, will guide you very quickly to that passion. I like that. I like that. What do you suggest for people that don't necessarily know what their superpower is or their obsession yet? Maybe they're just above average in, in something, but they don't know if that's that's a superpower. Is there a they're way they're probably they... missing it because there's stuff in your background that you would have always like even ask your friends. Like I think most of the time your friends, your family are the ones that have observed you grow observed you growing up. They will be the most uh, quick to be able to tell you like, hey. What, like, was I really good at growing up? And naturally, something's going to come up. Oh, you just happen to be really good at memorizing stuff. You were always, like, the one who knew how to do this and, like, figure it out how to, like, you know, you know, pick up a skill really fast or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like, these are all things that people will tell you because um, every person has one. Um, and it could be the most benign. Like, for example, our salespeople, um, our top salespeople 
uh, it never fails, uh, always have some type of high school improv in their background. Uh, I, I could, I could bet money that like the next top sales guy that'll come into the company did improv or a salesperson or saleswoman. The reason why is because, you know, to be a good salesperson, you have to be really good at, at, you know, sort of entertaining people, coming up with stuff on the spot, mm-hmm. you know, making the most of your environment, uh, you know, being bold, comfortable in front of audiences. These are all very critical skills to have as an effective salesperson. Got it. Got it. And so the, the first company that you joined out of college was, was Dig, right? And I, I read the story about you sort of networking your way into parties with, with Kevin Rose, um, who uh, was was the founder of Ding, who was at Google Ventures as well. How how did you do that? How did you navigate your way into those circles? And so now it might be a little bit more difficult than it, it was in 2009 and 2010, but naturally uh, the beginning of this process involves reaching out to people that you have no idea uh, you know, how to. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way you do it is you actually just guess their emails. Um, and it's, you know, I, I mentioned my email guessing trick, which is, you know, first dot last name at company.com and the two field and in the BCC field, you put every other combination you can think of just because sometimes that first dot last name doesn't work as the combo. Anyways, you email these people and then you go in there and you start to, and you literally just ask for 15 minutes of their time. You don't make the subject line a humble subject line. You make it as bold as possible. In my case, you know, I mentioned how awesome it was that I'd skipped four grades and that I was coming to the Valley and I was, you know, meeting entrepreneurs and VCs about my next startup. Um, and I did have like a little project that I was working on called follow formation. And I thought honestly that that could have been something I could have built. But instead, of course, what it led me down a path of was meeting a lot of people like Kevin who kind of just, you know, had the idea of maybe you should just work for one. Um, and, um, and, you know, Kevin is a highly visible character. He was in a lot of conferences. It was kind of not super difficult to run into him at a couple of events. What really struck, uh, uh, stuck out to him was the fact that I had seen him at a, at a conference in San Francisco and then one in, in London. Um, and he was like, why are you, are you like following me basically? <laughs> and, uh, I wasn't actually following him. It just so happened that there's a couple of events that I was invited to. Uh, and I just decided to take the plunge and I, I decided to, you know, pay the, I think it was a really cheap plane ticket to London at the time. And I went there for a couple of days and, and decided to turn, turn it into a Euro trip afterwards. But it, it was, it was really great. And then the, the whole brand awareness of this and the fact that I had created this tool, this follow formation thing actually used we follow data, which was one of the, the, the startups that Kevin had at the time aside from dig really mm-hmm. got his attention. Um, anyways, one thing led to another, and then I ended up getting the job. So what, what did you do specifically at DIG? I was in business development, which is still very vague, and no one knows what it means. But at the time, it was helping push the DIG button into as many places as possible. So you have the tweet button, you have the like button on Facebook uh-huh. that sits on sites. It's like DIG had its own thing. It's called It was called a DIG button, and then my job was to network with publishers to get that button onto many places as, as and onto as many places as possible. I'm just curious. Do you have coding experience or, or do you code on the background? No, most of my development experience is front end development. So all just kind of getting layouts and websites functional on the front end, front end side. And then I have to hand it off to someone else to make it functional as a website. I guess what, what is your experience with, you know, running a, a technology firm um, and not necessarily having uh 
specifically engineering background in the coding sense? So a lot of it was like, you know, when you bite off more, you can, more than you can chew, you, you figure things out. So when I started that Twitter thing, the follow formation thing, I had spent enough time with my buddies who we were already doing websites with to learn kind of the inner workings of the back end, just to figure out components, how things work with each other. What does it mean to develop on an API? A lot of different things. And so I think that was what created a good base of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of what you learn from how things work is just diving in. So it's like, honestly, like right now we're working on a little project right now about cryptocurrency. And uh, you kind of learn a bit more about the inner workings of cryptocurrency. Um, and uh, you kind of just figure it out. You're not like there's no honestly textbooks are great. But by the time it becomes a textbook, it's already too late, to be honest. Where do you see uh, advertising going? Um, I, I know that you guys are creating an innovative way to, to look at ads or to serve ads. Um, but, you know, as people get, you know, ad display blindness, uh, like what, what are some of the other mediums that you're excited about for, for advertisements? I actually think that rewards-based advertising, as biased as this sound, <laughs> is, is – and I'm, I'm actually – I have some additional supporting evidence for this uh, – some of your re, uh, your your listeners may be aware of this uh, uh, this very well known venture capitalist and analyst. Her name is Mary Meeker. Every yeah. year she pushes out this report about internet trends. One of her um, her biggest rec- uh, sort of findings, and it's very prominent, is that in app rewarded advertising is the most consumer accepted uh, form of advertising today. And it is uh, like literally number one. And we were thrilled when this came out, obviously. And so I'm very bullish and continue to be massively bullish. And it took until 2017, by the way, uh, you know, for this to come out really as a empirical piece of evidence. But mm-hmm. it is truly a form of advertising consumers are not going to balk at and it creates value. And it is about this value exchange because at the end of the day, people don't, you know, people like, you know, the only thing that advertising has really done is take, 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 take. It's never given. And I think for the first time ever, advertising can now give. And if you give and it's relevant, then you hit, this is the holy grail, right? The holy grail is, can you give something that's relevant to the context in which you're in? So for example, let's say you're at the airport and there's, you know, you're delayed. And there are ways that technology can detect that, by the way. And then based on that, there's a reward like, you know, here's a discount off, you know, latte or a drink here at the airport bar or whatever it is. Or here's a free magazine subscription or whatever it is so you can read or watch a TV show in the interim. These are all value-added things. And then it could be promoted by a brand. So there's a lot of ways to do this. And by the way, we have done that. Um, and there are ways to do that so you can create value for people. I think ultimately it's about creating value for people. As marketers, we sometimes forget that our jobs are not to just to tell you about a new product or to entertain you, but rather to add value to your life by bringing the product into your life in those moments in which you truly have a need. So is Keep uh, only on mobile app or are you guys on web as well? We're pretty much mobile focused we do have a couple web uh initiatives but it's very very mobile focused yeah because the reason i asked was there's a stat or something i think 86 percent of display advertising people just it goes unnoticed um and and i think rewards is, is definitely a very interesting space as well um but i was also thinking about you know some of the marketing that 
uh, brands like Chubby's has done, like creating viral videos to then get advertising uh, as a byproduct of creating like this very funny, cool video so that people watch it and share it millions of times. Yeah, I think it's the character of the brand. And then we get into branding, which is a bit more of an art. And I think sometimes you have brands that just aren't able to create viral, cool, summer-friendly videos that everyone wants to share with attractive people in it. So it's mm-hmm. like there's always a, you know, and then you, you think of just the, 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 a lot of these things are fabricated, but then at the same time, there's a lot of critical sort of foundational components you have to put in place to make sure that these things actually do go viral in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your book that you uh, recently wrote, The Cheat Codes. Yeah, so the cheat code came out in September last year. Um, was designed to be a modern business sort of book for like the creative class, what I call it. people who are creating things, just like what I was saying earlier. People who are entrepreneurial or have the suspicion they have an entrepreneurial mindset, um, and helping them unleash that, but in a format that is very millennial friendly, which is you know, two page chapters. You can read it backwards, forwards, inside out, doesn't matter. And it is these bite-sized things that help you get ahead faster. It's all about speed. Uh, you know, it's not saying you should cheat through life. It's saying you should apply uh, principles that help you get ahead faster um, mm-hmm. without needing to sort of labor over it over months. A lot of these things you can do immediately. And it's just little things like, okay, the cold email thing I talked about, the mindset of that superpower. Um, asking and generating serendipity, it kind of gives you these very basic, but you know, most people don't even do it. Like asking, let me just explain, you know, there's this whole thing about asking. If you don't know how to ask for help, people don't know how to help you. And then on top of that, it's not like your life was any different before you asked the question. So if you said no, uh, I'm sorry, if you ask it and that other person says no, Mm -hmm. nothing changes. If they say yes, then your life changes. Like it's really not that hard. But you'd be so surprised to meet so many people that are like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, well, have you asked that person? Like, have you reached out to this person? Have you tried? No. And I'm like, why don't you? Oh, well, they might not reply to me. I was like, well, if they don't reply to you, it doesn't matter. It's not like your life was any different. Uh But if they reply to you, then boom, your life changes, right? It's not that, you know. So that's just a a little slice into kind of how the, the thinking process. Uh, there's also like, you know, risk assessment framework, we call it like, um, you know, ask yourself, what's the worst that could happen? And then you ask mm-hmm. yourself, what's the worst that could happen? And you go through the whole process. And usually the worst that could happen is uh, really not that bad, you know, unless you're attempting to commit a crime. But other than that, you're fine. Like there's always these things that are quite easy uh, to just use to just make this uh, fearless and entrepreneurial mindset kind of flourish. Mm-hmm. And since the cheat code is, is optimizing for speed, um, is there a balance between or, or a compromise of, you know, with faster speed, there might be a, a loss in quality in the book? In the I, book? I would, I would, yeah, that's a great question. I would frame it as less of speed in terms of uh, sort of uh, intentionally skipping details in order to, 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 to compromising on quality. It's more. Uh, picking out the things that you can do, right, that is fast and is able to get you results immediately so that you can get into the habit of it. So it's almost like, you know, you're going to have to start, you want to work out every morning, get abs, you have to start like 
the first day. It doesn't take a lot of time for you just to start working out every morning, but you just start. So it's really kind of getting you in that mindset and to kick you off in doing that. And then mm-hmm. over time, yes, results will become more compounded and more, um, more meaningful. But in the beginning, it just gets you into that, that habit. So no, it's not designed to help you skip over details and then potentially lose on quality. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll definitely include a link to your, uh, your book in my show notes. Um, I'm curious, uh, Brian, where did you get, uh, you know, this energy from? And I think that your superpower is, you know, getting people excited about things, but how, how did you develop that or how, how did you realize that was your superpower? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's just from, you know, how I grew up and knowing that being the younger one in the room always means that people kind of expect you to be the, you know, sort of energetic bounce off the walls person and naturally you are that person and so it kind of fits together and it works really well. I think it also is, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh, unintentional side effects from being the happy and positive one. People gravitate to you. They want to talk to you. Uh, all of your ideas all of a sudden sound better than everyone else's just because you don't talk about them like you're about to fall asleep. Um, and this is a principle in life. Uh, you don't want to be next to that monotonous person either. Yeah. Um, so it's just a style of delivery. It's also based on my personality. But there, I think everyone has their way of doing it. So for example, like Elon Musk, I mean, he's not exactly the most like bounce off the walls guy. But the way he communicates, just the way how he's so passionate about it, uh, he shows that obsession off really well, almost in a mad scientist way. Mm-hmm. We're like, God, I got to listen to this guy because clearly he knows something that we don't. So this is, everyone has their own version. Um, and you kind of adopt that and, and good things happen. Mm-hmm. And what, what's next for, for you specifically? And uh, I, I guess keep. Yeah, there's a lot, I mean, on the plate right now, just for keep, right? What we're focusing on this new data business uh, we've been working on, which is like, you know, big opportunity in the ad marketplace right now is, is the mobile cookie kind of figuring out what the, the modern sort of safe identifier is across devices. Uh, so that's a big opportunity. The second one is, uh, and I think your, your, your listeners know that, uh, that cookies are going the way of the dodo primarily because people don't really use their desktop computers anymore. That's really traditionally where a lot of cookies originated from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's one big opportunity. Other areas is, is actually bringing keep into IOT and, uh, places where traditionally advertising does not exist. Um, and so, you know, this is not, you know, saying some ads going to show up on your car dashboard or in your, your Apple watch. But rather, how do we leverage moments that come from these devices to create advertising opportunities? And so that's a big new project. And then also bringing the last thing is bringing keep to other categories like healthcare and education. So how do we bring rewards into those those industries um, and actually help create other side effects like helping people learn, um, you know, and uh, faster and helping uh, uh, sort of people take their education on time, get rewarded for it. Yeah. Um, just think of these like, types of possibilities, um, and then you're, you know, it starts to get really, really exciting. And, and what about you specifically? I know that you know you obviously are running Keep, which is a full time job, but you did a book. And, and is there any other personal developments that you're uh, on the outlook for? Yeah, I think uh, uh, just picking up skills that I've always wanted to pick up, but didn't really have the time in the early stages of your business. So like I 
picked up scuba diving in December and I hope to get my pilot's license shortly and like, you know, just developing that part. I think there's this huge opportunity as a person to kind of be uh, Renaissance like, you know, I think back in the Renaissance era, like everyone had multiple skills and, uh, and that's just like a vast understatement. You have people who are like inventors and, and poets and, and painters and all that. And like now we're like very, very specialized as a human race. And I think, with technology, we're now able to be multi-talented, multi-faceted again. And so since, you know, as you know, like most of my listeners are uh, college age or, you know, first or second job out of college, um, is there any piece of advice that you would want to leave them uh, for, for these for these students and these uh, millennials? Yeah, I think, you know, hey, we, we are in one of or not one of, we are in the most knowledge-enabled uh, generation the world has ever seen. Uh, we have access to practically everything. I mean, speed to access knowledge in the past was uh, you know, much slower. To go to a library, if you weren't living in a major city, you would you would take you hours, if not days, to figure something out. Now you can do it in you know half a second or less. So there's no excuse. It is basically what I'm saying, it's, you know, people always say, well, I don't know how to code or I don't know how to do this. or I don't understand. You can learn anything online. So the next time you're trying to start something and you feel handicapped because you lack knowledge, that is zero, like it's like not even a valid excuse anymore. So mm -hmm. that's like a big one. Um, the other thing is leverage the fact that you're in an environment where you are only focusing on getting ahead in your career and, you know, having fun with your friends I mean, like there are a lot of people around the world who don't have that privilege. So being grateful for that, having that gratitude and then reminding yourself that, you know, it, it ain't so bad. And then using that platform to build amazing things and do amazing things is our duty. Honestly, like our parents did not fight this hard to give us this environment for us to then go do a boring job for the next 10 years of our lives. Like yeah. that would just be a huge waste. Awesome. Brian, thanks so much for, for taking the time. I, I had a great time uh, speaking with you and hearing a little bit more about your background and things you're going to do. Well, thanks for having me on, Al. Yep. And so if people want to get in contact with you, uh, I, I can post your, your Twitter or your email, um, you know, whatever you think best. Both work. Okay, great. Um, and I'll include those in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Brian. Thanks, Al.